frankly, I think we're way ahead of ourselves, if you want to know the truth. We've done too good a job, because every time we go out with 25 million tests, you're going to find more people. So then they say, oh, uh, we have more cases in the United States. The reason we have more cases, because we do more testing than any other country by far. As the Attorney General was taking the lead on this matter, he did come to the President and report to him uh, when Mr. Berman decided not to leave. And at that point is when the President agreed with the decision of the Attorney General and the, to fire uh, Mr. Berman and to promote Mr. Clayton. So he was involved in it then? He was involved in the sign-off capacity. Um, he was not, AG Barr was leading the way, but in a sign-off capacity, yes, the President was. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the McGregor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jared Yates Sexton. As always, I'm here with my loyal co-host, Nick Houseman. Uh, we're coming in this week on the heels of, um, I mean, what can only be called a disappointing Donald Trump rally, the, the, the beginning of the Trump 2020 campaign in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, which saw Donald Trump speaking to I don't know, maybe a half full arena um, rambling on for many, many, many minutes about his ability to walk down ramps and drink water from a glass, which we need to talk about. But um, yeah, it, it, it certainly felt like not just a loss, but like a demoralizing moment in Donald Trump's political career. What do you make of it, Nick? You know, it was funny because they're trying to explain how this all happened. And uh, there was this whole movement about the TikTok teens who were registering a lot and blowing the numbers up, which I think is true. I think that actually does have an effect. But it doesn't really explain why there weren't a lot more people there because there was unlimited RSVPs. So if these diehard Trumpists wanted to go, they could have gone and they would have been part of the whole outdoor area if they wanted to. So I do feel like, um, the, you know, the, the, the warnings about COVID and the feelings that we have, aside from whatever tiny percentage of people who want to think that, you know, Jesus' blood is protecting them, uh, really, I think, have a sense that this is not a safe thing to be doing at this point, especially in Oklahoma, especially in Tulsa. So that's, that, is that positive? I think, I think it is. Yeah, I, th- I, I think the thing I walked away with it feeling is that the God Emperor has no clothes. You know, it, it was obvious that Donald Trump has no momentum whatsoever. I mean, you know, I, I joked about it in a, in a post on, on the muckrake today. Like, he he drank water and, and the crowd started cheering four more years. And the truth <laughs> of it is, Nick, him drinking a glass of water might actually be his biggest achievement as president of the United States. There's nothing else that he's done there's nothing else he's achieved outside of this criminal you know tax cut that was stealing money from the people um in in terms of what happened and how it occurred you know like all politics it's 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 a little bit more nuanced than that so the tiktok teens which sounds like a reboot of like the muppet babies i love it like green light that thing get it on tv but the thing with like these these social media young people like coming out and and re, you know reserving tickets and these k-pop fans they didn't necessarily keep people from coming to the rally. That was because Don, even Donald Trump supporters understand that coronavirus can kill them, right? And on top of that, like what it did was it exposed that Brad Parscal, who is the uh, campaign chief for Trump, is a moron, just a blathering moron who got online. I was talking about this last night on a live stream. 
he got online and bragged about like we've gotten a million ticket requests and i was like dude you're getting trolled you just hired expectations and anybody who's ever been on a campaign understands you lower expectations and then hurdle them that way you have a victory and everything but he's incompetent trump is incompetent and what we saw here was we we saw a duck dead in the water is what it was like this is a person who has no actual claim for re-election and wanted to do this because he is addicted to attention and is a broken man. I mean, he's going to get people sick and it was a dangerous stunt and it failed. I mean, all the way around, it's just failure. He he stinks of failure. Well, we should talk about Brad Parscale for a second because I like that you brought him up in the sense that, yes, he violated all of the, you know, any kind of event planning business would tell you, yeah, you don't want to announce such huge crowds because you're going to turn out, you're going to depress turnout. People are thinking, oh, it's too crowded. I don't want to deal with getting through the lines. I'm not going to go. You want to make it seem like, oh, we're going to offer a special deal. Like you might, might have a chance to meet the president if you come this way and all these different things, which they usually are pretty good at doing. So uh, they've also polluted the data set because if you remember, he tweeted out saying that they, he was bragging about, this is not an event to him. This is not a movement. This is a ser- an, an opportunity to take data and mine it and use it later. But he's completely back. You're going to have to throw out all that data. And I was reading someone uh, who's in, the, in this business was saying, I hope that they can you know, go back in time to remove it cleanly unless it's already polluted. Now they're going to have a million, you know, these registrations, most of which or a lot of which are just garbage and are not people they're going to want to market to. Um, but the other thing I want to talk about with him is that, you know, he came out of nowhere with his little dinky website design company and was somehow the architect of the most sophisticated micro-targeting uh, campaign we've ever seen before. And I do feel like, you know, if we're going to take at face value what you're saying as far as that, how an idiot he is, which it really does feel that way, uh, there was no way in hell he ever could have pulled off what they said he did in 2016, which then completely uh, just keeps lending credence to this notion that the Russians were the ones behind all of it. Well, let's start with the 2016 Trump campaign, which is actually one of the things that is really under scrutinized. And we spend all of our time obsessed with Donald Trump as a culture and talking about him and parsing these things out and doing whatever. In the meantime, the story that doesn't get told and doesn't get examined is that the Trump 2016 campaign was a disaster in every way, shape, and form. They were terrible at running for president. Um, You know, it was, whenever I talked to the people, when I was covering the campaign in 2016, everybody involved would tell me like, this is a total shit show. No one has any idea who's in charge at any given time. And and they did all these things wrong. So actually the 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 ground game so to speak didn't exist. Like and and this is like one of those weird things, right? Is you would go around with the campaign and you would go to these towns that were considered like Trump towns, right? And there were no Trump signs. And by that, I mean like yard signs, you know what I mean? And like campaign materials. What you would find is that people who supported Trump would make their own, right? They would like put up a, like a thing in their yard where they would make their own Trump sign because the campaign couldn't get it to them. What actually happened with the 2016 campaign was a confluence of things. It was the collusion that you're talking about. It was data mining and, uh, you know, all of these really bizarre violations of privacy and, and and personal information. And then on top of it, it was a cultural movement of rage that pushed Donald Trump over the finish line. It's not like this guy's the genius that everybody makes him out to be. He's not playing five-dimensional chess. He's eating the chess pieces is what's <laughs> happening. And when you what you just said is exactly right. This Trump campaign right now 
doesn't work because what they need is they need a figurehead like Hillary Clinton to go after. And if you watch the rally, anybody who's listening watch the rally, the people there could not get up for hating Joe Biden. They were bored about Joe Biden. And the entire campaign message is, well, Joe Biden just is slipping a little bit and the liberals are using him. Well, what what's that? Like the cultural rage that got Trump elected in 2016 was Hillary Clinton, misogynist hate, and 30 years of conservative propaganda. And, you know, that whole like deep state, you know, bullshit. Well, what happened is you've seen now they don't have the cult they don't necessarily have the cultural rage to push him over the finish line anymore. They just had four years of an exorcism of cultural rage. They can't get angry about a country that they've had control over. And so it's just dead in the water. I mean, it's it's just a total debacle. Well, I think the uh, I don't know if we talked about this before, but the uh, Republican platform, which they had, are so lazy, won't even rewrite <laughs> they copy it. and paste it. <laughs> and but it's kind of uh, apropos because it directly criticizes the administration, which is themselves at this point. And so it's kind of like when you do a parody, like a movie that's supposed to be spoofing a, like a, a another kind of movie, and it becomes the movie that you're trying to spoof. And you know, ultimately, they've become the administration that they've been trying to like rage against in, some, in a lot of ways. Certainly to enough people now where that's what we get result is, is this, you know, low turnout because it, it still feels like this. And again, I hate to get into the feeling, the anecdotal notion, but there are a lot of people in America who don't want to believe that this coronavirus thing is a real serious threat that would, that would impede them from going to Tulsa and actually going to the rally. So in my mind, you know, what this is saying overall is that, you know, his base is eroding. It is getting smaller. It is contracting. It might be a little bit on the margins, but it is contracting enough where it, the, the, the fear becomes is what is he going to do to try and reclaim those fringes and, you know, win by the squeakiest of margins like he did in 2016. We've talked about it on this podcast a lot. Fascism is a response to the perceived loss of power. Right. It's a person or a group that holds power that feels like they are losing power. Um, This all has to do with the perception that white people are losing power and that, you know, like there's an ascending class and and demographics are changing, which they are. I mean, the, the perception bears out. And in this case, what you have is you have an authoritarian who's president who um, I said this last night, too. I don't think that he is so afraid of actually losing an election. He's worried about being publicly shamed and possibly facing prosecution. I think those are actually the two motivating factors that he has. He doesn't want to be perceived as a loser and he doesn't want to go to jail. Well, those two things are enough to make him desperate. And if you listen, and there was a weird thing that happened too in the rally. I went to a lot of Trump rallies and watched a lot of Trump rallies in 2016. He never, ever acknowledged the possibility that he might lose. The only time that he ever brought it up is he would talk about the election being rigged, right, or stolen. On Saturday, he said a lot about, oh, Americans might do something stupid at the ballot box in November, which is like a weird beginning of the thought, right? Mm -hmm. Well, what's he going to do? What he started doing last night is talking about animals and thugs and the people in the streets who are going to take things over. He mentioned the Second Amendment multiple times so this is not the the conversation we're having is not saying that donald trump is cooked and everything's done and go ahead and you know buy your champagne and get ready for a victory party this is more about where we are right now in late june the fact that this campaign is failing and the more desperate they get 
I think the more dangerous they get. I, I think that's borne out throughout his presidency, and I, I unfortunately I think that's what we're going to see bear out here. Sure, but the only problem that this administration has is that they're so dumb and inept that they can't pull off this stuff properly. Case in point, you know what happened with Berman at the SDNY on Friday, which did not have to happen at all in any way, shape, or form of the sequence that they allowed it to do it. And you'd like to think that Barr, which we could go into even a historical uh, attack on Barr, why he should be impeached and just throw him in prison while we're at it. But um, I would have thought that William Barr would have been a lot better at this than he's being. And he's made a series of mistakes for the last couple of weeks. And um, luckily, I guess, for the people on the other side, uh, they, because of their ineptitude and their uh, just it's just stupid. Um, they're going they're, they're It's going to be a uh, it won't be a very easy way for them to detonate whatever next uh, bunch of um, yeah, corruption they want to be able to pull off or, you know, sway the audience they, what, the way they want them to, because they're just they really aren't great at this. So. I, I may be the only person talking right now and listening to the podcast who would be interested in reading a book about the history of attorney generals and, you know, the United <laughs> States of America. This chapter would be just insane, right? I mean, Bill, Bill Barr is operating as attorney general as someone who is destroying the rule of law for everyone and turning it into a weapon against a few. And what people need to understand, and, and I don't think that they necessarily do, because our myths about authoritarianism are all screwed up. Our myths about authoritarianism tell us that authoritarians are strong men who get things done, right? The, they get results, but the way that they get them are kind of ugly, right? We do that because we've had a lot of dictators on our payroll, you know what I mean? The real truth is that cults of authoritarianism are inherently inept. Right. The reason they're authoritarians is because they can't get things done unless they like break rules and intimidate people and kill and suppress. Bill Barr and Donald Trump, when you get in like that, that small little inner circle, they are so certain that they can get away with their things that they don't cover their tracks. Right. right? It's, it's like a kid learning to do math. Like you've got to show your work, man. And, and they don't like because there's like with Bill Barr, he truly believes that he's carrying out the work of like a benevolent, all-knowing, omnipotent God. And as a result, anything that he does is beyond question, and it will work out because he has this all-knowing, omnipotent God on his side. And then what happens is you have this person who just stands up and says, no, that's a lie. And all of a sudden the entire world is like, what in the hell is going on here? Like, what what is happening at the Department of Justice? What's happening at the White House? And then they do a thing. And, and again, I want to highlight this is what an authoritarian society does. Donald Trump immediately says, I had nothing to do with this. I don't know. That's Bill Barr's thing. Bill Barr's like, oh, it's Donald Trump. He said this. And then immediately Donald Trump fired the guy. And what happens is in an authoritarian society, it's never anybody's fault, Nick. It's just something that happened. And you can't track down how it happened or what somebody did. And so the blame just sort of circles around until it dissipates like so much smoke. And that's what happened in this case. The guy made it very clear. And it, it, it was almost like... It's almost like, you know, it was night in America and he shot up a flare. And everyone's like, what the hell was that? And it, it like really drew eyes onto this thing and made it clear what was happening. Well, let's pull this apart because, you know, what happened on Friday was Bill Barr meets with Jeffrey Berman, the, uh, tr the United States attorney for SCNY, the premier, uh, you know, prosecutorial outfit we have in the country. And, and also, Wait, the what's he working on, Nick? What, 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 oh, what's well, he where, doing? Where should we what's begin? he up to? 
He's investigating Giuliani. He's investigating Turkey uh, and, and violating sanctions with them in Iran. He's investigating, uh, well, Trump. He's really just investigating Trump. And, uh, and you know, he did. He put Michael Cohen behind bars. So these, here's the he's problem. One of the, he's one of the, that, that office is one of the bulwarks against Donald Trump's criminal regime, period. It's right. it, like people don't understand it, but that is like, that is like the outpost that is trying to fight this thing. Right. And Bob Mueller pretty much put all of the cars in, into SDNY, basically, is what he pretty much did. He keep punted enough things to them. We, we probably maybe shouldn't have, but maybe he, maybe Barr ended that, that investigation earlier than we all know. And either way, but he, and so a couple things. First of all, you know, the Department of Justice should never be in such cahoots with the White House as it is now. Never. Not even the appearance. And this is sort of the foundation of what a republic is or what democracy is. And what the authoritarianisms and uh, uh, governments look like are when the Department of Justice does the bidding of the president. And that's exactly what's happening now. It's a tool. It's a weapon. So let's go back to on Friday night. So uh, here's the weird thing is Barr meets with Berman and says, hey, well, here, here's three other jobs you can have. One's even a step up if you want to take it. Berman's like, no, nah, I'm good. I like what I'm doing now. So he just issues a press release saying that Jeffrey Berman resigns. Now, Jeffrey Berman doesn't know this. He hadn't heard about this. And so if you saw his response, it was a pretty much a double-fingered salute uh, right back to him saying, I, I, I hadn't heard about me resigning until I saw some press release, and I'm not going anywhere because i got to make sure that these – and by the way, you can read in the code here. He's like, I have to make sure that these cases are, you know, are overseen properly, which is interesting because when, when he first was appointed, it was a little bit of a concern that he was going to be a Trump guy just like Barr was. And I think you have a, it's probably a two-lane highway. If you get hired by this administration, you, you, know, you might end up falling into it like Barr does, or you might end up finding some sort of patriotism and, and notion of what you know, ethics are. And that's what, kind of what Berman did. Or, or Donald Trump is bored one day and feeling bad about himself, and he throws you under the bus and laughs at your bones being broken. I mean, sure. like, like these are, this is what happens. I mean, like when you get in cahoots, when you are cahooted with these people— Bad things happen. Sure. And you get hip-pocketed. He, he saves these for when he needs them to change the narration for something else. But this one, the timing is interesting because Bolton's book came out and had just illustrated that we talked about it last time. But, you know, the one thing that seemed to, you know, make my spidey sense tingle is, um, ooh, is um, the notion that Turkey... Uh, was violating the sanctions against Iran and that we have uh, Trump saying to Erdogan, I'm going to get the people out of the SDNY and put my own people in. We'll get that whole case to go away, which I had said in the last podcast was the impeachable offense. That was one, which also leads me to wonder, where is the, the readout of this call? Did they bury this call in that same server that's not supposed to be reserved for calls like this with the one they did for, the U- for Ukraine's call and even the President Xi's call with China I want to see these readouts. They're going to have to subpoena those. They need to get those out. We need to see Trump's words uh, and read them. To, I really want to make sure, because obviously if that happens, that puts so much more uh, validity to what Bolton's written for everything. Isn't it odd? And listen, I'm not going to draw conclusions here. And I say that meaning uh, I'm going to draw. I, I say that meaning I'm going to draw conclusions. Isn't it weird that since Trump took the oath of office in 2017, he has poisoned every alliance and treaty and relationship that we have made and constructed with other liberal democracies around the world while going out and assuring Russia, which, by the way, you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist. This is all on the record by assuring Russia that, you know, he would he would get rid of restrictions against them by. Oh, yeah, that's right. 
covering for the murder of a United States journalist from Saudi Arabia, and then engaging in God knows what kind of blood money with them. Going to North Korea and flirting with Kim Jong-un and just openly like lusting after state-run propaganda and the ability to kill your enemies, covering for Turkey and backdoor dealing with them constantly, trying to dig up, you know, election interference in countries like Ukraine. And then on top of it, it's just like every single authoritarian in the world has gotten his approval and tacit agreement on whatever they want to do. It's almost like, Nick, and I, again, I, I, God, I don't want to draw conclusions. Don't do it's it. Al- it's almost like this person is a fascist authoritarian who, by the way, told China to build con- uh, uh, concentration camps. But that's neither here nor there. It's almost like he is a fascist authoritarian who has changed the alignment of the world order and made America on the wrong side of history. And what you just talked about, it's the... And, 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 and I understand there's some people who probably are rolling their eyes and they're like, why are we talking about a like a prosecutor right now? And why are we getting into the nuts and bolts of it? This is how the peanut butter gets gets made. This is this is how you do this. Like they are literally uh, sticking their noses into situations they shouldn't. Like and you just said a while ago, you're like the Department of Justice should not be working with a president like this. They shouldn't be working together at all. They're right. supposed to be completely separate. And instead, you have Bill Barr running around as like a de facto like vice president with legal powers. It's bizarre. And, and you can't fully understand how bad this is until you understand what happens down that road. You're exactly right. This has everything to do with Giuliani, Ukraine. This has to do with election interference, Turkey. It's so much disgusting, rotten matter that you have to understand how we get here to understand where we're going. And it's it's uh, somewhere good. Somewhere good. I mean, I'm old enough to remember that William Barr traipsed around the world meeting with heads of our allies trying to find dirt uh, that would discredit the Mueller report, of which he found nothing, wasted all that time and money, probably just to you know make it look good for the boss. Uh, this is who we're dealing with. And you know there are people who want to say that Barr ends up being more dangerous than Trump. Um, and and it, that might be true. I mean, listen, you, you got you to, hey, listen, these are some nice people we could talk about. You got Barr, McConnell, um, you know, Graham. Eh, but, like, you know, there, there's some guys who are vying for that top spot alongside Trump. And um, this is the question I have, I guess, is, is how close are they at this point? I think the election in November solidifies the authoritarianism that they're looking for, don't you think? Well, again, to go, back to, what, to, to go back to what I was saying about the rallies, um, Donald Trump has a natural advantage in that the Electoral College, which was built into our uh, government as a means to advantage slave, slave states and authoritarian rule, uh, it, it gives him a natural advantage in any, any contest. He could still win. And God knows that, uh, I mean, they are not above, you know, stealing an election. They're just not. If Don, somebody said last night, I did a live stream, which I've been doing on Sundays. Somebody asked, they were like, who do you think will be the GOP candidate in 2024, right? Like, who's the next person on the block? And what, what I said really scared me because I believe it, which is if Donald Trump wins re-election and survives to 2024, I think it's Donald Trump. I think that's what happens in this whole case. Or you start seeing, you know, the ascendance of somebody like a, a, a junior or, or one of those people. People need to understand, 
authoritarians get in power, they don't leave willingly. They don't just get up and go and say, good job, everybody. What a great campaign. Like, the idea that he's just going to accept defeat, I don't know how to wrap my head around that idea. And then on top of it, the idea that he wins, a, a president in their second term just acts. You know what I mean? Like, they'll, they'll throw stuff at a wall and see what happens. And this guy in particular, I mean, if he wins, uh, yeah, it's 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 going to be a wild ride. And and I, I think your instincts are exactly right on that. I mean, people like Barr, Barr's not going anywhere. <laughs> you know, Pompeo's not going anywhere. This whole creep group is just, they're going to they're gonna do as much damage as they possibly can. And remember, uh, you know, there's only five months before the election. It makes no sense to, like, to wholesale re just replace the SDNY, the head of the SDNY, it, 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 unless they're on the verge, right, of, of getting somewhere and announcing something. You know, now, luckily, they went to the right succession at this point where the, the deputy is going to take over Strauss uh, versus what they wanted to do is have the attorney general, or, sorry, the uh, state attorney from New Jersey take over, which violates the law because he's not within 20 miles of the, of the SDNY in and of itself. Like, that's how stupid they were. They couldn't even nominate a guy that would be eligible anyway. And, uh, and then the guy they want to nominate for the process has never been a prosecutor. So if you, they're trying to tell us. Now, again, maybe a lot of the people who support Trump simply don't care or don't want to understand these things. But you cannot appoint a non-prosecutor to the most prestigious, most important district we have for prosecutions in the country. It makes no sense. But by the way, neither does appointing so many of their judges who either don't have experience as judges or are so poorly rated that they should never be anywhere near this nomination process. Um, this is the other thing. So this is all like five fingers on a hand, right? A lot of these moving parts it all ended up getting connected. And that is another reason why, yes, I feel like... Um, this election ends up being about that. And if they win the election, then I would fear within the next four years, you're, what you've been warning about will happen. Uh, and I don't know about what's going to happen about how they react to losing the election, but I am certain that they will call into question the veracity of the results based on mail-in voting. There's no question in my mind there will be some you know, shouting about that and how, 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 hard, how, how loud it will be is unclear. It's already started. Right. I mean, today, today, which is, you know, that that's the other thing is like, it, you ever see movies with like, there's like a mad king or a mad emperor, you know, or like somebody who's like starting to lose it. And like, there's like these moments where like, they just say something and everybody in the room just sort of looks at each other. And then it like goes on a beat. I'm really enjoying the part of Trump where he just randomly hits, you know, his caps lock. And just says, presidential harassment out of nowhere. Or truth. And today it was, the claim was that foreign countries are going to print up mail-in ballots. Like, like, like uh, where the hell did that come from? What does that have to do with anything? And, and, and one of the, the things I'm trying to get to here is what you just said, you just spoke a lot of sense. You just spoke a lot of logic about how people should operate and how governments should operate. You're bringing logic into a completely illogical situation. I mean, they, they have no interest in putting people who are qualified in any of these things. There's a reason why every member of the cabinet, it's like the bizarro Superman of the cabinet. It's like, oh, wait, you hate the EPA? You are now in charge. Congratulations. Destroy it. These people are not about actual functional government. And, and I will say, and you just said, why would they do it and when did they choose to do it? 
I don't know. Like, maybe they have a case that's pending. I'm, I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, they're sealed indictments that are going to come out. You know, and a real QAnon moment. I think it also has to do with the, the fact that the Trump administration has a smokescreen right now. They could possibly do it right before the rally. They could all, they also, the things that they've been doing during the pandemic, expecting no one to pay attention to, like they've, they've been operating behind the scenes constantly to just, con- I mean, they stole, God, what was it? Half a trillion dollars? Is that what it ended up being? Half a trillion in terms of aid and stuff that they won't even talk about where it went? Oh, and, right. You know, and just move that around. They they won't go on the record and say what that's about. Uh, you know, they eliminate people. They fire people. They're just, they're constantly pushing this stuff in the dark. So, yeah, I don't know why they did it and when they did it, why, why they did it, when they did it. But all I know is it's about consolidating power and eliminating right. the possibility of consequence. That's the only thing you can know for sure. Right. And in, and they're packaging in this weird, like, 80s, uh, terrible, like, suit, like uh, RoboCop kind of a movie where he's this, this comedian and how can you how can this comedian guy be such a nefarious figure in the top of our government? Yeah. And it's like, listen, if he wants to be a comedian, like he should just do that. Let him just, you know, get, get him out of there. Let him. He, I, by the way, if he loses and he's not arrested the next day, which he should be, he, I guarantee you he'll probably still have rallies. He'll probably still go on tour and do these things because he loves it so much. And he's not even that's a problem. He's not even a good comedian. He's he's not even he's no he's not even good. I mean, he makes Buddy Hackett. You know, I maybe mean, Buddy Hackett deserves a lot of respect, but he makes those kind of borscht belt guys look like you know the highbrow uh, you know uh, comedians that we've had in the past. I can't say Woody Allen, but you know those kind of guys, uh, right? We can't. He's 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 persona non grata. Nonetheless, uh, actually, Woody Allen and him, there's probably some some simpatico there. So nonetheless. Um, so that's the problem we have. But, you know, in the midst of all this, we do get to get the id. We do get to get, like, the direct line into the brain and some of the truth that will come out. And we got some of this in a bit that he thought he was doing that was funny. He tells us that he wanted to slow down testing so that the numbers would not go up and then somehow in a weird way make him look bad. Yeah, so the, the, the first thing about what you just said is exactly right. And, and it, it occurred to me, and it hadn't occurred to me until Saturday watching this. First of all, watching Trump, you have to realize he's a really pitiful man. Just like the saddest, most broken man. And it occurred to me when he was doing his whole water thing and the ramp thing, which he talked about for 30 minutes. It was obvious that it's the kind of story that like you or me or our listeners would tell among friends. Or tell among family, right? Something where people are trading anecdotes and stories. Well, he doesn't have family and friends and people that he's close to. He has to go in front of a rally with a couple of thousand of people who don't know him, right? And he loves that. That's what it's all about is this this addiction that he has, which, by the way, is probably going to spread coronavirus among his supporters and probably take a few lives. But we don't need to talk about that right now. What you just brought up, and, and he said this during the rally, he thought he was being so funny. Like, he really did. And he said, you know, like, we, we've, we've done too many tests and that the, te- the numbers go up because we're doing such a good to- job text- testing, which is such an Orwellian line that this administration has been pushing. Right. Uh, uh, you know, the press secretary did it today. It's like, oh, the numbers are actually proof that we're doing our jobs well. So congrats. He said in this, in an anecdotal manner, he said, I said to staff, slow the testing down, please. Which, by the way, would mean that Americans would not find out that they had possibly a deadly disease 
right? And it could possibly spread and get worse. Um, at, at, at best, that is a problematic statement. At worst, that's killing the American people for your own political purposes. Well, then the administration comes out and says, oh, it was obviously a joke. Like, I mean, because it was hilarious, Nick. I mean, like, it was so funny. Like, everybody, you know, fell over gripping their sides laughing at how funny coronavirus is. 122,000 people dead that we know of. And then he did an interview today where, like, this is part of the, the, the inadequacy that we were talking about. He talks to Scripps, and Scripps is like, did you order that? Like, your administration says you didn't. And he said, if we did slow it down, we wouldn't show nearly as many cases. Which is what he says. It's he can't even he can't even get on the party line, which is one of the reasons the twenty sixteen campaign was such a disaster. So did he order less testing and damn people to lonely, agonizing deaths? Or is that what he finds funny? And either way, by the way, is damning. But I think he ordered the slowdown of test. I think that he is incapable of of not expressing the truth in that regard. Well, there's a concept here about wanting to limit the number of sick and dead. Right. That would that that would reflect poorly on him. That concept has been around for a long time. In fact, we know this because he told that to us when he was in Atlanta in the CDC. And he said, I do not want that ship to land because the numbers will suddenly go up. And then in the parentheses and I will look bad or whatever he thinks that's going to make him look like. So we know that this is already his M.O. from the beginning. So there is no doubt in my mind that you filter in that with uh, this, this information, it, like in the February moments when they weren't doing any testing, they weren't doing anything. He was praising China because he wanted this deal with them. And he was also begging them to help him get elected. So imagine that. Imagine trying to, to be a, to, you're trying to do a deal with a uh, country. You're trying to play hardball. But then you're also begging them to buy more of your products so that you can then win the election. You know, that's how broken and, and, and he's like Willie Loman. Which, he is, but real fast, something you just said actually yeah. like connected in my head for the first time, and it's it's bizarre. Like it's really, really bizarre. Wait, wait. So, something I said is bizarre. No, no, no. It's something that I had. It, it didn't connect the dots, but the way that you said it just brought it to to, <laughs> to fruition. All right. So you know how like all these people talk about the deep state and how there's like all these cabals and there's like secret meetings where like the powerful are talking about oppressing people and how to consolidate power and stay in power. That's exactly what he did when he talked to Jinping. He said, oh, absolutely, put your people in concentration camps, but you and I will help each other to maintain power. Like, it's, it's, the, it, it's, it's everything that he is. I mean, obviously, we know he projects this stuff, but it's never been more black and white than what you just said. What we found out is while he's out there, like, rallying against them... We have on the record now explicit proof that the conspiracy that he has been using for political purposes is a conspiracy that he's trying to create. Like he's actively on phone calls trying to carry out the conspiracy that he's out there like banging a podium about. Which is just, I, I, think, I think I knew that, but I haven't been able to put it in those specific terms yet. Like that's, that's bizarre and terrifying and dangerous. I mean, that could be the title of this podcast. <laughs> Bizarre, terrifying, and dangerous. Uh, it, that is everything in a nutshell. I mean, uh, here's the thing about that I just want to talk about. I, because um, what, what it says to me, and it actually connects to, remember when I listened to only Breitbart and Fox News and, and uh, OANN for three days? 
Our over. new audience, because we've got our audience is growing. If you have not heard the episode where Nick, how many days was it? Uh, over three, like three and a half days. So. You you spent three and a half days listening to nothing but far right media. That is an episode you should go and listen to. It's incredibly relevant. I'm just I, again tip of the hat. Hey, Very thanks. Well, 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 well. What I what I gleaned from that was that there was no acceptance that there was any possibility of asymptomatic transmission. And when you hear Trump mocking all these extra tests because he's like, oh, the young people who are not affected. That's what he says. Young people are not affected. And he doesn't recognize the notion of when you, you might have it, you might be spreading it for days without having any symptoms at all, which is obviously the need why we need to test. Probably the most important reason. And that is the big disconnect that they've been the most successful in in dealing with this is they've convinced Republicans, and I would almost say capital R Republicans, or however many there are that really fall in line to this, because even the ones who don't like Trump necessarily uh, are believing that there simply is, if you don't have a fever and you're bleeding out of your eyeballs, you're not, you're not going to give this uh, virus to anybody. And if you, once you accept that, it's really easy to follow along with everything else they're doing and how they're, they're treating the virus and why they might think it's, uh, he's doing a good job. Yeah, and the way that he presents it, because that has been the company line. Right. And, and if you actually listen to what Trump says, he says we shouldn't be testing because it makes me and America look bad. And every time he says it makes America look bad, it's about himself and maintaining power. So that's exactly why he says we shouldn't be testing. And meanwhile, he keeps saying that, like, young people aren't affected. Well, first of all, like the average age of death lately has been going down. Like, like, it's getting to young people. Second of all, if you actually read reports and you go beyond whatever surface-level understanding Trump has, and it's obvious that he hasn't done any research on this and he hasn't done any reading on it, it wrecks people. Like, we're, like, I don't know if people saw it, but, like, there was a double lung transplant. I believe it was last week or the week before, and it was made necessary because... If you get this and you have a bad enough case of it, it doesn't matter how old you are or what shape you're in. It will destroy your lungs. And there are all kinds of doctors right now who are coming out and they're saying, listen, you don't understand what this is going to do to people in the future. It's going to lower their lifespans in the future. It's going to lead to chronic problems. It's going to lead to more and more lung transplants and, and more of these procedures and it's obvious he doesn't get that and doesn't care, doesn't give a shit. Like, that's who he is. He has no ability whatsoever to care for other people. And what he's been doing is, like a virus in and of itself, he is spewing so much disinformation. And it's just continuing to fester and fester with, with his supporters. And I, I listen, the coronavirus right now is still going strong. We, we were talking about it before we started recording about, like, what that means and how it's working or whatever. Uh, it's June 22nd as we're taping this. I live in Southeast Georgia, and let me tell you what, it is hellaciously hot out, right? We've talked about the possibility that it might, you know, swoon in the summer and come back in the fall. We're still in a first wave, and this first wave isn't going to break. We're not going to have the... We I, I think when we first started talking about this on the podcast, we talked about the possibility that maybe in the summer we might have, like, a quick renaissance of civilization where we go out and see each other, and, like, we're like, well, maybe we'll have to, like, quarantine again in the fall. This is ongoing. It's ongoing, and it's because of a lack of leadership and a total rejection of any responsibility or understanding by Donald Trump. This is this is his legacy, and it's one of the reasons why he's having a hard time finding any sort of momentum for his campaign. He talked about this before as well, why he thought it could just wash over the country and we just kind of get through it that way. 
And again, you have to believe him when you hear him say certain things. He's telling us right out in the open what he wants and how he wants this to, to, to happen. Uh, and my, my fear had always been that, oh, and we've already seen this, the slight rebound of the economy when everything opens up. And then when it has to shut down again, and it really sort of feels like it's going to, that's like the last death rattle where you go into a complete cardiac arrest for, the, for at least, you know, the... Um, for the economy, I had I talked to a couple of friends who are in, in the in the economy business, and you know they were all very impressed by what the government has done to prop it up and avoid disaster, and that all well may be true. I suppose we've avoided the absolute capital D disaster, but I can't help but shake you know, the feeling doesn't shake that we are on the again on the precipice and it hasn't gone the other way. It's simply sort of flatlined for right now, and there's only one direction this can go once the rest of those stores that were hopefully opening up or started to open up have to close one more time, and then we have more deaths. The only solace I can take, I, I don't know, if, I guess if you had seen it or not, there, there was some reporting over the weekend that they're getting better at treating this virus to the, to the sense that people aren't going to die as much. We the deaths seem to be lowering to some degree. Now you can argue that's because it's more testing and there's more younger people who are who are getting it, and you know the younger people don't die as often anyway. But um, it, there seems to be some notion of using. Um, uh, steroids to like treat this better. I mean, listen, that makes sense. Our medical community is smart enough. That after several months of just complete and utter ineptitude, which is sort of what it was, uh, they'll figure something out. So it looks like there's you know that. Plus, you know, the, what is the death mortality rate? It's 95 uh, percent where you survive. It's five percent or something like that, right? Four or five, seven percent. So I'm at the point now, honestly, Jared, where I'm like, why can't I just be one of those 93 percent that's going to survive? I honestly feel like that at this point. It's been so long, and we've been cooped up. And I, if I'm feeling that, you can only imagine how a lot more people are feeling. Um, but it's like, you know, why can't I just be one of those people? Now, what you said was right. It shreds your lungs. Even if you survive, you might have permanent damage for the rest of your life. So I shouldn't be saying that. But I have a feeling that, like, there's clearly a, a big push for that, and that's what Trump is capitalizing on. And, and I want to I throw this out there. One of the things that we're doing, and this is why – this is why the pandemic has worked the way that it has and why it's been such a tragedy. Right now, we're talking about this from like a helicopter level, right? Looking down on it and saying numbers here, numbers there. What we're not talking about is uh, reports that like nursing homes are taking their people who might possibly die in their businesses and rolling them into the streets and taking them to homeless shelters. We're not talking about particularly people of color who are being evicted from their homes. And as they're being evicted from their homes, not only did their mortality rates go up, but the possibility that they might be exposed to coronavirus goes up as well. This is a rolling disaster in every way, shape and form. And what you just said about like feeling cooped up and and, and, and like, you know, and with all due respect and affection, it's kind of crazy, right? It's like, well, whatever, I, I guess this is I'm going to go out and live in this thing. That's what drives people to bars. That's what drives people out and about to restaurants. That's what drives people to go to, oh, I don't know, half-full Trump rallies in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I think everybody's feeling that because this is really hard. This is, I mean, we're not used to this. We're not built for this. And I think it's making people, and, and, and I guarantee you, if Donald Trump wasn't president, if somebody else was in charge, it wouldn't feel like this. Because one of the things that Americans do is they think that, they're not affected by outside things in terms of like psychology and influence. The president changes how the world feels because they're so ever present and their message is constantly going. 
His lack of leadership and lack of consistent uh, information or messaging makes all of us feel insane and makes like life go up and down and, oh, this week it might be getting better. Next week, all of a sudden, everything's on fire. It's all because of him, which, again, there are plenty of reasons not to vote for him and to vote against him in November. Uh, you know, number one, he's an unhinged madman who shouldn't be president. And, you know, he could possibly plunge us into an authoritarian nightmare. The other thing is we need something like leadership, something. And we're not getting it from him. We're not getting it from a lot of our governors. We're definitely not getting it for Congress. We need something better. That's period. We just need something better. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I would have held I was talking to somebody this weekend about how they didn't vote for Obama. And I would have, I told myself, you know, I would have held that really against you uh, for voting for McCain or for Romney. But I got to tell you, I would take any both of them in a heartbeat. And, and you know what I mean? I would have taken any of those guys uh, over what we have now and would take anybody else from the Republican Party at this point, too. Uh, sadly enough. Uh, but yes, the only focus we need to have right now is he needs to get out. But I, I said this to Walter Schaub, uh, you know, who was the ethics uh, czar um, before uh, they forced him out. Uh, they, he, I think he was saying the same thing. They have to, to prosecute. When he is out of office, they have to prosecute Trump. We have to have some way, because I know that Ford had said we, the country needs to heal and move on and we're not going to prosecute Nixon. Uh, and that might have well been true because the Vietnam War was still so fresh. But this thing, we need to thwart this kind of behavior from happening in any other time in the rest of the future of this republic. We have to punish him to the fullest extent of the law. Uh, otherwise, it will happen again, and it'll be even worse. If he is not punished, what it tells future people, and, and listen, th this is dire, but I only say it because it's true. There are plenty of people who are studying how Trump has operated to understand how they can carry out their own business, right? If Trump is not prosecuted and if Trump is not held responsible, what it tells all future politicians is that you can turn government into a clearinghouse of corruption, which is what Trump has done. And if that isn't enough, and, and, and what you just said about Donald Trump is exactly right. He is the worst possible president that you can have. He, I mean, like if you went into a lab and tried to create the worst possible president, you couldn't get to this, right? <laughs> because, and, and that's the thing. I think that people actually make the mistake. They think that you would need to find somebody with like intelligence, but have the ability to manipulate and be shrewd. What actually makes him so dangerous is the fact that he doesn't have that intelligence or that inquisitive nature, right? It's, 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 he's a madman. Right. Who has no interest. And again, going back to coronavirus, he has no interest in understanding things with any sort of nuance or any sort of information to them. And so as a result, you're going to have people following him who are going to reverse engineer what he's done to try and carry out ideologies, which is one of the things Trump's only ideology is the empowerment of self and profit. That's it. He, he doesn't care about anything else. He doesn't think about anything else. There are people out there who are more than willing to reverse engineer this thing and carry out really, really dark fantasies and really, really uh, dark ideology. So you're exactly right. He needs to be punished. It needs to be called to account. And that's that's just the end of it. But what you're describing are the people who are watching this would do all those things and, and you know, worse, but under the sheen of a normal looking president. Who he's, they're not going to rage tweet. They're not going to have these rallies where they say these horrible, um, you know, racist things. They're going to be the opposite. They're going to say the nice things. They're going to make it try and sound like they're bringing everyone together. 
that's what my biggest fear is because yep. there are enough malleable uh, people on the other side who would be really swayed. And you know what? There are probably Democrats and, and progressives who could be swayed too uh, by that kind of nefariousness. And that's what really makes me worried. Um, and then again, it's like do, do, maybe that's how politics, politics has been the whole time. You know, they, 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 all politicians yep. lie. They say these things. You know, I mean, listen, Jimmy Carter probably was the only president we've ever had that really, I honestly feel, was earnest in his desire to help the, his constituents. You know what I mean? I feel like he was the, the last guy. You know, he, Bill Clinton did, took Jimmy Carter and took Reagan and then put his sheen on it, which was nice, but he, he certainly had those issues. You could even criticize Obama for a lot of his policies, which were sort of Republican recycled stuff too. Uh, but Carter, to me, was like the last guy. And, and, you know, look what happened to him. And so I don't even know uh, if we'd ever get back to something like that. But, man, that sounds pretty nice. Yeah, we've talked a lot about Carter and that fact and the idea that he didn't present the presidency that people wanted. Right. He, he wouldn't have mature conversations with people. I, I, I think up to this point you've seen presidents who have been earnest. But the question is whether or not that earnestness gets put within a machine of control and manipulation. Right. Um, Donald Trump. I don't, you know, I would have to go back through. Donald Trump has to be a really special case in terms of a president who doesn't even begin to understand the concept of patriotism. You know, like there's not even like the ability for him to think about that. You know, like even going back through, like I, I'll sit here and I'll argue for a couple hours and lose every one of our podcast listeners talking about how George W. Bush was a war criminal and like a dangerous entity. But I think when he laid his head down at night, he thought that he was being patriotic and good for America or whatever. Um, I, I, I think that that's been a through line. This is a person who has always viewed America. And this is one of the reasons he hasn't been able to do anything and hasn't been able to help us. He's always viewed America, going back to one of your favorites, John F. Kennedy. He's always viewed America through the lens of what can America do for me? It has nothing to do with what can I do for America because America is just an idea for him. It's it's like a slogan that you can sell used cars with or, I don't know, get people into a Taj Mahal casino that you ruin and lose all of your money in, right? This guy is all about this marketing idea that has nothing to do with taking care of other people or moving us forward. And that's why he has no interest in fighting a thing like a pandemic. No interest at all. Well, the W that uh, you bring up, I'm glad you brought him up because he was one of the guys who kind of begin the notion of the presidential daily brief and not really wanting to listen to it and hear it. Yep. They kind of had a hard time keeping him focused on that. So that reminds me because certainly it's what we hear about Trump. And it, it, it makes this weird connection in my mind where when I was teaching, uh, like I taught English for a year in high school and I did the name game where we'd all sit in a circle and you had to say your name and say the person next to you's name and then your name and then the next person had to say the first three names and your name. And I would always be able to predict almost certainly almost 100% what the grade would be based on their on their performance in that name game circle thing, right? Because you could see there's focus, there's memorization, there's all those things. I almost feel like we could do the same thing with the presidential daily brief. And they should have these things while they're running and have them and just monitor how they react and how they can comprehend uh, people giving them briefs. Because if you can't even do that, then you can't do the presidency. But I think it's also about empathy, too. Like when Donald Trump sure. gets a when John, Donald Trump gets a briefing, and let me tell you, I'm, I'm an academic. I, I'm, I'm a professor. I have been, oh Nick, I have been in some meetings. You know what I mean? Like I've been in meetings that have went on hours beyond where they needed to go. I have sat through some stuff. 
But you know what? The moment that my mind has ever started to wonder, I remind myself of like my students. I remind myself of the people that I work with and that I have a responsibility to be present and know what's going on because I have a responsibility to other people, right? Mm -hmm. I might miss something that could help me or help others. Donald Trump has no interest in that because he just wants to get to the business of being Donald Trump. He has right. no interest in protecting us. He has no interest whatsoever in taking care of our problems. There's a reason why he hasn't even tried. We have a person who thought being president would be like a ceremonial position, you know, like a, a mascot who came out and maybe shook a couple of hands or whatever and then danced. He has no interest in the actual thing, which, by the way, makes it all the more tragic. He's campaigning for a job that he doesn't want to continue doing. Like, he's miserable. If you look at him, he's a literal miserable human being. The only good part about this is that he's addicted to attention. And anybody who knows anything about, anything about drugs know that they have a law of diminishing return, right? He, he loves becoming, like, the sole focus of America. That's the best part of it for him. He hates being in these meetings. He hates having to sit through briefings. He hates having to think about this stuff. And so he doesn't. He doesn't even want this job. But the reason that he keeps campaigning is he doesn't want to be humiliated publicly and he doesn't want to get prosecuted. And that brings us back to these rallies. Like, he can't even, like, get up for the job because he hates the job. He literally hates the job. And just like uh, addicts of all stripes and shapes and sizes, uh, it's not enough. It continues to not be enough. So whatever sure. attention he's getting from the uh, public uh, doesn't – he needs more and more and it has to continue to rise. So that's why it was kind of delightful – to see such a horrible turnout. They did a flyby. Air Force One, you know, hey, Mr. President Trump, you're going to see all these people rallying around, and they get there, and they fly around and let them see, and there's nobody outside. They had to break down the outside stage because there was nobody there to watch it. They couldn't get enough people to go inside to fill, you know, half the damn stadium. So, um, you know, I, it only makes me worried because I think being on this side of, of, of the administration – I, you know, you want to see him suffer, right? You, you don't want to have to see him continually win, whatever, whatever he thinks win, winning is. But the fear has to be that these are the moments that will push him to do something even more outrageous that will, you know, compromise our national security. That's the real fear. Well, and, and I, I, it's something just occurred to me that, again, hasn't occurred to me until right now. What Donald Trump wants to be is an ex-president. You know, like a person who like who like comes out and shakes hands and takes pictures and everyone calls him Mr. President. And then he goes over and does whatever. And like maybe he gives like an unhinged speech that, you know, CNN talks about for two minutes. That's what he really wants. Right. And I'm sure that if somebody came up to him and it was like, there's no shame in losing an election. You won't be a public pariah and you wouldn't be prosecuted like he would probably go ahead and let Mike Pence, you know, campaign for 2020. I actually think that would be true, but but he's also been a criminal this entire time. And going back to what you just said, that fear, he's more than willing to take America to the point of the abyss. I mean, we saw that with the Bible stunt. We've seen it with his rhetoric. We've seen him inspire terrorism. We've seen him, you know, lead us to the brink of World War III just for posturing, like multiple times now. So yeah, like his... That, it's like a really Shakespearean thing. If Donald Trump knew what was good for him, which he doesn't, because if he did, he wouldn't be Donald Trump, right? A broken shell of a man. If he knew what was good for him, he would just go become an ex-president because that's what he wants. He wants to hang out at the golf course and shake hands. But the truth is that like whatever is broken in him, which is pretty much everything, keeps pushing him 
to go after something that he doesn't even want. He has to know deep down he's terrible at it, and he has no interest in continuing to do it. So it's it's a really bizarre Shakespearean thing. So, all right, well, we have we have jumped around and rolled around in Donald Trump's mind for long enough for, <laughs> for today, I gotta tell you. Uh, thank you as... Woo. Thank you as always for coming and hanging out with us. We really, really appreciate your support. Um, you know, it's it's been so um, really, really gratifying and lovely lately. Uh, like a lot of comments, a lot of shares, all that stuff. We've appreciated you reaching out. As always, what we need and people keep asking how to help out. Keep sharing, keep liking, keep commenting, subscribing, rating, all that good stuff. It actually helps us, and it has helped us build a huge audience. That word-of-mouth stuff and, and, and the, the algorithm stuff actually does help. And thank you again for hanging out. We, we appreciate it so much. Until next time, you can find Nick at Can You Hear Me SMH. You can find me at JY Sexton. We'll be back, hopefully, uh, not having to do any emergency things and talking about big things. We'll be back on Friday. Until then, stay safe, everyone.